Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, here with my friend and club, Ruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachi Kedushin, daf Te Alec, page 81. Well, we're in our last two dafim of Kedushin, of Seder Nashim. Uh, we have an excellent seum planned for uh, November 5th. It will be held at um, 10 a.m. East Coast time, 5 p.m. Israel time. We'll be announcing our speakers. We, we mentioned yesterday that with everything going on, uh, we just need to finally confirm everybody. Um, so please, you know, uh, please register. We will repost the links on our Facebook page, uh, email them out to people, uh, as well as sharing it on our WhatsApp group. Um, and I guess we should get to this staff. So this was a little bit of an interesting staff. Uh, we're in the middle of a discussion about Yehud, and we sort of have a series of stories about, uh, you know, different um, Tanayim, Amorayim, who, you know, seem to have grappled with an issue of sexual lust and sexual desire. Um, and I think these are interesting stories. I think they certainly show that the Gemara is not scared of recording sort of uh, humans and what human behavior is really like and sort of that. These are things that people uh, certainly struggle with uh, and that there isn't sort of this like, you know, deification, let's say, although I don't know if that's a good way to describe that as we're talking about Tanayim and Amorayim, right? But there isn't this sort of, you know, trying to make them out to be uh, something more than they actually were, um, you know, on the pages uh, of of the Gemara. Um, And so in that sense, I think it's very interesting. On the other hand, I do think, and I'm curious what you think about this before we get to reading some of the specific stories themselves, uh, certainly when you read a daf like this, it becomes very clear that the Gemara is written by men. There is definitely a real male perspective uh, to this daf and and without having a lot of woman voice here. Although I think the story I'm going to read has a little bit of a female voice in it. I I will admit that on the one hand, I I actually think that's very true. Very true. I mean, it's true. Um, I will also admit that I hadn't thought about it, right? There's a certain, I, I'm not sure, as much as I think that if the women, if women had been writing the Talmud, the stories would at least not be presented in this same way. Um, I also think that there's uh, something universal about these stories that even if they are specifically, or they open really, with sexual temptation um, and lust, I think also, there's some discourse here on, and there's a part that I want to read is going to include that, on temptation in general. And so, again, the fact that it's written by men about my, what might be stereotypically like a, a male issue um, is mm, like, yes, I think you're right. I just hadn't thought about it because I think that there is also more here than just the gender side of it, let's say. It doesn't offend me in some of the I don't, in general, I think mostly the Talmud does not offend me, but some of the times when we've said like, oh, the woman's voice is missing here. I don't, I don't feel that here. Perhaps because there's a real rebuke here, right? Like nobody's saying, yeah, no problem, men, go ahead. Uh, yes, I hear that. I don't know. I, to me, it's very much missing. Um, but again, I think it's, I, I am impressed with that the Gemara is willing to tackle these issues and really speak about them very frankly. Like nothing's covered up here at all. All right. So what happens is what, what part of what fascinates me about the stories on this stuff is that we have the appearance of the Satan, right? The Satan, the Satan, the 
I don't know, the uh, accusatory angel, right? We don't really have a definition of the Satan in Torah, in Halakh, exactly. Certainly it's a voice that is, you know, going to be the voice of temptation or the voice of, you know, the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination that people have, you know, the, the opposite of your good conscience. So the story begins, I'm not going to read all of it inside, but the, the story that I want to get to begins with a case of captive women who are brought to Nahada'ah and they had been redeemed and they were brought to the home of somebody who is known as Rav Amram Chasida, meaning he was the pious one, Rav Amram the pious one. And they put the women in the attic and then they took away the ladder to get to the attic so that nobody could be tempted to, you know, to go up to the attic and, and you know, you know, do anything offensive with these women. It's for the women's protection, right? And then, and then the story is that Rav Amram himself, like, takes his ladder that that was so heavy that ten people couldn't even lift it, and he goes to start climbing. And then Chazal get very angry at him, and they say, you know, you've you've embarrassed us. And he says to them, and I think it's really you know a very strong, uh, not defense, but he's trying to take a strong position, right? He says. Better that you should be shamed in my house, right, than to be than that anybody should be shamed in the world to come. And he takes this oath. He swears that you know that the Yitzhar Hara, that this evil, evil inclination should leave him, um, and it separates from him like a pillar of fire. And he says to this, you know, this now this apparition, right? You are fire, and I am flesh. And I'm still going to win over you, right? It's a, it's a real, we could spend a lot of time on this story and what it means to work to conquer um, your own, um, what, I guess, temptation, right? The, the, the part of you that is tempting you as you go. So there's this like um, personification, I guess, of the Yitzhar Hara, of the of the temptation of the evil inclination. And then from there, we go on to see other cases, other examples of the sages who would basically ridicule to mock anybody who would in fact, you know, get involved in any kinds of transgression. And they would say like, oh, it's so easy to avoid temptation. So from here, we'll begin the re- to read the text inside. Rabbi Meir would mock the people who would, who would commit sin like again in this assumption that oh it's easy to avoid temptation and then one day the satan appears to him as a woman right meaning this is you know this is figurative in in the most extreme way right it's very clear that the gemara is not saying that there was a woman over there who was tempting him it's saying he was dealing with the phenomenon of temptation as, as in this like Again, the sense of a satan on the other side of the river. There's no ferry. Lo hava mavra. Lakat matzavaka avar. He matapalga matzva shavke. So what happens? He goes, he's going to, he tries to get across the river with a rope bridge. He gets halfway across on the rope bridge. And then at that point, the Yetzirah leaves him and says, Amar i lav deka machreza berkia. He's haro barami meirvatorato. So he says, were it not for the fact that they say about you, you, Rabbi Meir, in, in heaven, be careful about Rabbi Meir and his Torah, then I would have made you completely worthless, meaning you would have fallen. You would have, in fact, succumbed to your Yetzirah. But I've decided, says the Yetzirah, I have decided to be kind to you because in, you know, on high, 
they talk about you in a special way. <clears throat> Meaning Rabbi Meir himself, who was mocked for, though, you know, who would mock those who would succumb to temptation, was in, himself in the throes of temptation in a very dramatic way, if he's crossing the river on a rope bridge. Rabbi Akiva, have a and likewise, Rabbi Akiva would mock those who would sin. And for him, the Satan appeared to him as a woman at the top of a palm tree. So Rabbi Akiva then, he grabbed a hole of the palm tree. He's going to climb the palm tree. You can picture palm tree and imagine how difficult this is. And then when he's halfway up the palm tree, again, the Yitzhah Hara leaves him. And again, it says, the, if they didn't speak about you, Rabbi Kiva, and on high, and say to be careful about Rabbi Kiva and his, and his Torah, um, I would have made your blood like Tuma, meaning again, like you were mine. You were mine. You were in the throes of your Yetzirah. Stop mocking people who are, who are at risk of temptation. And then we come to the sage Plemo. Plemo, Plemo. Plemo have a ragil, a mamer kol He had a practice of saying every day, Gira be'ene de Satan, an arrow in the eye of the Satan. He's not mocking sin, right? But he's, he's, well, he's basically saying that people have the ability to withstand sin. He's going to poke the eye of the Satan every day. And again, another comparable story. So this time it's on the, on Erev Yom Kippur, it's the day before Yom Kippur. Um, so the Satan comes to him like a poor person at his door. Atakara Ababa comes and calls him, you know, that he should come and um, give him tzedakah, give him charity. Apikile Rifta. So he brings him bread. Plimo brings him bread. So the Satan says to him on a day like today when everybody is eating, I have to stand outside and eat. Ailo Vakervule Rifta. So they bring him inside. Flemo brings him inside and gives him proper bread or gives him a place to sit. Amarle Yoma Kihaidana Kule Alma Atbava Ana Lachudai. He says, Everybody else is sitting at the table and I'm sitting over here over by myself. Itavi Otu Ataka. Pardon the rushed pronunciation here. Right? So then they bring him, they sit him at the table. Aviyativ Molonafshe Sikh. And then he's sitting and he covered himself and he it's a really unpleasant description, right? He's sitting there and he's now covered with boils and pus and he's doing really unpleasant things at the table. And he's really disgusting. This is literally what the words mean. So then Plamo says to him, sit properly. Like, what are you doing? This is not a way to behave. I can't even begin to imagine what he was really doing at the table. And then I'm just going to like kind of tell the rest of the story outside for the sake of time, right? So they, he says, give me a cup. So they give him a cup and then he coughs up his phlegm. And then they say, well, you're not, how are you behaving this way? So he pretends to die. And then they complain, Plamo killed this man. And Plamo runs away. He hides, you know, in the bathhouse, the bathroom, right? In the outhouse. The Satan follows him because he's not dead and he falls before him. Now, at seeing the Plamo is suffering, he says, no, hello, I'm the Satan. And why is it that you would say this, that I'm going to put an arrow on the Satan? Why would you provoke me that way? And so then he says to him, finally, I'm really, 
what should he say? The Satan says, let the master, meaning Plemo, say, let the merciful one, meaning God, rebuke the Satan. Meaning you human beings, stop thinking that you have it within you to withstand all of the the, the throes of temptation and the evil inclination and the aggressor in the Satan, whatever it is, you know, there's a, a push here to acknowledge that people are but flesh and blood and and can too easily give sway and give way to to temptation. Um, the Gemara goes on with more other people and, you know, more other stories. I'm going to pause here, but I feel like, I think, Dana, this is part of why, even though it's in the context of sexual temptation, I think maybe it sways me to think, like, this part could really be about anybody, meaning the same, like, confidence or arrogance or or trust in oneself that, you know, instead of saying, there but for the grace of God go I, the sages who are the best of the best, right? Rebbe Meir, Rebbe Kiva, Klimo, we never heard it before, but like they're 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 all taking a position that that we want people to feel that they could take. You're strong in the face of temptation, and the answer is eh, not. You know, you have a healthy have a healthy respect for for how low a person can sink, even the best of the best. Well, I I think you know part of what the staff is also saying is that this idea of like someone being like, you know, cursing the Satan or saying that the Satan will never get them, right? Um, it's almost like those are the people who are going to fall. And, you know, I, I and I think that's somewhat of what the staff is trying to say is don't ever be too overconfident over your, you know, your ability to not sin. And so, you know, I the story that struck me, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to on Ahmed Bed, is Amar, you know, Rabbi Chia Bar Ashi, Havi Ragil, so Rabbi Chia Bar Ashi, right? It says, Idan every time he would say Tachanan, right? You know, he would put his fall on his face, is always how they call Tachanan, right? That's the part of the in the morning when, you know, we we, we put our hands over our, our left arm. He would say, right, that God should save us from the evil inclination. So one day his wife heard him saying this, Amra, and she says to herself, right? So she says, it's already been a number of years since she, he has separated himself from being intimate with me. Um, so then why does he have to say this? And I, I think that this, the whole setup of this story is fascinating. I mean, first of all, we're at the end of Seder Nashim, and I think we're very, very aware that, you know, being intimate with your wife is actually a mitzvah and one of the things that you have to do for your wife. And so the fact that he sort of was not doing that with his wife, I don't think is necessarily a good thing. And the way that his wife sort of like, it gets, you know, sort of, uh, it twisted isn't the right word, but it's almost like she so can't understand that. And like here he's acting so holy. So what evil inclination could he possibly be talking about? And I almost wonder if it's like, is she worried that he actually is doing this with somebody else? And that's why he's not interested in, in, in her, right? So, she, you know, that's why she says, my tamaka amar hachi. So what does she do? Yom habe ka garis So one day he's studying in his garden, kishta nafshe. She adorns herself, chalpa v'tane kame. And she sort of keeps walking back and forth in front of him. Amr la man at, and he says to her, Who are you? 
Amra Ana Haruta Dahadi Mioma. And she says, I'm Haruta, which, I, which was apparently the name of a well known prostitute. And I came back from my travels. Tava. So he propositions her. Oh, now re- he doesn't realize it's his wife. He propositions his prostitute. Amrale Ate Nihale Lahach Rumana Drej Tutsita. So she says to him, bring me the pomegranate on the uppermost branch of the tree. And Shavar Azel Ate Nihila. So he jumps up and he went and he brought it to her, right? And then he, and then the idea is, is that then he is, he's, he's intimate with her. Now, some of the Mepharshim say maybe he wasn't, but some of the Mepharshim say that's actually sort of what the implication of this line is. Ki Levete, when he comes home, Have Kashagra Devetu Tanura. He sees his wife is heating up the oven. Selik Vakayate Begabe. He went up and he sits in the oven. Um, okay. Amrale, my hi. And she says to him, what, what are you doing? Why are you sitting in the oven? Amrala, Haki Bahaki Hava Masa. And he says to her, this and that happened. So it's also fascinating. He confesses his sin right away to her. Lil Ashkafe, he paid no attention, you know, but he, so, sorry. So she says, Amrale, Anahave. And so she says, wait, it was me. I'm the one who pretended to be this prostitute. You actually just, you know, you just slept with me. Lil Ashkafe, he doesn't pay attention to her, meaning he doesn't believe her. Until she gave him the proof that it was her. Right, maybe she. I'm not clear how she proved it, but she proved it. And so he says, "Still, I'm guilty, and I try, and I meant to do something that was forbidden." Right, even though he ended up that he really had sex with his wife, but he really wanted to have sex with this prostitute. Right, all the remaining days of this righteous man, he fasted until he died by that very death. In other words, that he died because he fasted so much. So first of all, when we talked, and when I mentioned before that sort of, I felt like the staff was missing sort of this feminine voice, I I think this story actually does add it, right? This sort of gives the perspective of how the woman experiences sort of this like piety that sort of goes a little bit too far, you know? And in the end, she still doesn't get what she wants, right? Because it sounds like, he was so overcome with guilty, you know, he sort of ignored his wife for many years. And then in the end, I'm going to assume from this excessive fasting and how guilty he felt, he sort of continued to ignore her. But, you know, I also think this is a comment on like excessive piety, that it's not necessarily a good thing. And look where it actually leads you to. And then, you know, the other pieces, I think just to say, anybody can be led to sin, especially sexual sin. Yeah, I think that's the sobering point. And I think that it wouldn't really be a complete Seder Nashim, right? We're really at the end here, if there were no discussion of this, right? Like so much of what we've seen throughout throughout Kiddushin, but also the entirety of this Seder has been legalistic, right? How many different forms of Yibum, you know, the different relationships, let's make charts, Right. Nobody, not nobody. At some points we've talked about this, but the the nature of the the Seder is very much about all the different possible cases and what to do in all the different possible cases. And there's very little discussion of that human side of things. We talked about it a little bit in the context of, you know, a woman and her interest in being married or interest in making sure that her husband is alive or that he's dead or that he's not repulsive to her, these kinds of things. 
and we have seen that woman's perspective represented in the halacha, I think, you know, when we talk about the male-female dynamic, to, to, to not have a section on lust at some point would have been, you know, remiss from the Gemara, I think. I'm not yeah, sure that they've left it till the end, but... I do think it's also interesting that it comes at the end of all of Seder Nesher, like all of these stories. I'm glad it's not the main discussion of the whole thing, right? right. It could have been. I, I think the point is, is to say that all of this law that sort of regulates, right, sexual relations, sexual habits, is there because of this. Um, That's interesting. Maybe. I, I'm not, I. that's a very, like a very large statement i i think on a smaller focus i i think for sure like it it certainly is part of it i'm not sure i'm i'm not sure it takes it takes more delving in than we're ever going to manage in the daf but but i think all of these questions need to be considered in in exactly in this study of you know all of these laws that pertain to the relationships between men and women um this is part of that but can I add one other point to that, which is, I think in today's world, where we're sort of seeing, and Anne, you've done a lot of work with this because you're very active in Chochmat Nashim, a founder of Chochmat Nashim, but, you know, where we're seeing this world today where, you know, people are erasing women, there's sort of this over-sexualization. I want to be very clear. I don't think that's what the Gemara does here. In fact, I think to your point, it's a few stories that appear at the end. And they're sort of like stories that make sense. You know, they're really about temptation, but they're not about, these are not stories that it's like someone saying like, you can't be in the grocery store because a woman's going to be there. So I want to be very clear. Like even the story that I, you know, that I just read about Rabbi Chia, his wife had to dress like a prostitute <laughs> in order to grab his attention. So, and I'll say I'm, further, I'll say further. First of all, the story that, the stories that I read, Rev Amram, Right. Like it seems to be a very unusual circumstance that these captive freed captive women would have been kept in his attic and they put them Dafka there because he was supposed to be trustworthy. But even stronger, the examples of Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Mayer do not say that there's a woman who 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 was tempting them. Right. They didn't go at, in lust after a woman. They were tempted by the Satan. Right. This is really far removed from the right. hyper modesty that we see today. They're all unusual stories. And I think that's the point that I want to that I want to make. None of this is about temptation from everyday regular life. I think the Gemara is trying to tell us sexual temptation or sexual lust is a strong driver, but it is not under ordinary circumstances. And I think I just want to be clear with that, because I think this is something that has really been misused in modern society today. Right. And there's a really big difference between being so confident that you could never be tempted, <coughs> excuse me, versus the person who can't see the word. And this is a really extreme case. You can't have the word Haisha, the woman at the women's health clinic um, on the building, literally on the side of the building, you have to spray paint it off because, oh my goodness, the very word uh, woman might be, you know, uh, arouse the passerbys, you know, it's so far removed from the warped issues that have hit certain very small, but still very prominent. Like it's, it's a problem in society today, not as widespread people. I'm going to guess that our co-learners are rarely encountering this, I hope, but it's something that is found now in Orthodox society in an extreme way. And it needs to be countered. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. 
Let us know what you thought about this stuff in our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.